Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. You're awesome. That's uh, Pastor Allen's word, you guys, man. Uh, good morning, Mercy family. Good morning. Man, praise God for what he's doing over there. Mercy Nairobi, we love those guys, love the team that we sent. Some of y'all have gotten to go. It's awesome. One of the things he mentioned was our Christmas missions offering. Uh, y'all, this, it's for us to be able to continue to do things like that. Plant churches like Mercy Nairobi or Kingdom City that we're planting in Atlanta next year. This is our chance to get involved in sending God's people to God's mission. That's right. We're excited about it. Um, listen, as a church, this is what we want to be about. Advancing the gospel through the planting of churches, through reaching our own city. You can see details on our website of where everything's going with our Christmas missions offering. But my heart as your pastor I don't really even have a number in mind as much as I have. I just want us all to participate. I want us all to give towards God's mission because what I've found is when Mercy Church all kind of gets together behind one thing, man, that's where it's just really powerful the way we work together when we're all in after one thing. And this Christmas mission's offering. I just want us all in to some degree or another. I want you to step off the sidelines and give towards the advancement of the gospel through the Christmas mission's offering. If you're wondering like, well, how much do I give towards that? I don't know. You pray about that, all right? But I'll tell you how Courtney and I, my wife and I, how we think about it for our family. What we say every year is that we want our best gift to go to God and his mission at Christmas. All right, that's the way we think about it. Because I want to train my kids to value God and his mission in their lives. And that starts with a simple thing of Christmas where it could be all about us. And so we turn and say, we know we want to be about all about God and his mission. So you figure out what that looks like for you. Uh, that's what it looks like. For us, y'all, we want to see God move in other places like he is moving here among us. Because, y'all, he is moving among us. There's no doubt about it. I mean, last weekend, Thanksgiving weekend, okay, um, our team told me we were going to do baptisms on Thanksgiving weekend. I was like, that's a terrible idea. And I was wrong, all right, which happens all the time with our team, okay? Last weekend, Thanksgiving weekend, okay, we had six worship services and at least one person was baptized in five of our six worship services. Praise God for that. That's right. And we had so much fun with it. We're doing it again this weekend. It's happening at least at Providence Road and Northeast this weekend. Right. It was awesome. I'm thankful for how God is moving among us. I'm thankful to be your pastor. Um, y'all, I don't know, I, I'm actually just thankful for the season we're in. Not only am I highly caffeinated this morning, but it is Christmas and our first uh, annual celebration. We're getting our celebration of Christmas and I love everything about Christmas. I love it all. I, love, I even love the music of Christmas. Now, I wish they would let me decide on finally kicking out some songs. Like, I don't know how. Last Christmas. Yeah, I don't know how that's still around. I don't know who Wham paid to be able to get in the radio still. But I just take it all because I love it. I love the presents. I love the lights. We've lit up our house. I even, I love the parties. I've got my ugly sweater already, 
which is um, one of Pastor Brett's regular sweaters that I stole from him. Uh, I'm using that for Christmas parties. He's our student pastor, if you don't know him. Uh, But I love it all. And I love that we devote a month uh, that we call Advent, which just means arrival. I love that we take a month and set aside the arrival of Jesus, and we're theming it this year, a season of hope. Because at its core, the announcement of our Savior coming to earth is, at its core, what is it? It's an announcement of hope. Hope has come for us. You're going to see that in our passage today. Hope comes to somebody who, apart from trusting God, her circumstances, like to the spectator looking in, don't seem hopeful. And yet her soul is filled with hope. And here's how she gets there. She releases control of her circumstances and trusts God with it. And in releasing control of her life. That's going to be the thing I'm going to call you to today from God's word. You release control from your life and you're going to receive back hope from God as you do, but you got to surrender to him in order to receive that hope. That's what we're going to see in Mary. And I don't know how long we're going to be in this because they still haven't started the sermon timer. So I'm assuming my sermon hadn't even started yet. So we're going to have tons of good stuff from it, um, from God's word here today. But look, You're going to see and hear hope from a familiar passage of scripture. And I'm just telling you, there's hope for you. And I want it, I've been thinking about it. I want it to fill, I want hope to fill your heart over the course of this season, but definitely this morning, kind of the same way that like um, helium fills a balloon and causes it to float up and stay there. Because sometimes I feel like this whole church thing we do where we come in every week is a lot of us come in like, and our balloons of our hearts, so to speak, are filled with, I don't know, whatever you, like CO2, is that when we blow up a balloon? Whatever gas that is. Like it comes up and it's in there and it's kind of floating down. And then it's my job to smack you back up again. And then you're up for a little bit and then you float back down next week. And you and I are in this rhythm where I'm just smacking you around. And I don't want to be that. I don't know if that works, but I don't want to be that as your pastor. You know what I mean? That's not what I, I want you, your hearts to be filled with gospel hope that causes you to float on its own, so to speak. So if you have your Bible, go to Luke 1. That's where we're going to be all Advent season. And we're going to be looking at the arrival of Christ. We begin by looking at Mary. If you don't know who Mary is, Mary is the young woman that God chooses to be the mother of Jesus, okay? That's her role in the story. If you don't know who Jesus is, kind of main character, big deal to us. We talk about him every Sunday, all right? He's the the key one. You'll hear about him a lot if you're newer to church. And the big idea for today, really, the big like take home is if we will surrender like we see Mary surrender to God and his plans, man, we will receive hope from God like Mary receives hope. But it's gonna require our surrender to God and his plans. Luke is inviting us to join Mary into worshiping the one true God who is, as we will see, he's faithfully fulfilling his promise to his people to provide a savior. And that surrender is gonna lead to hope. The roadmap for today. We're going to do three things. We're going to start in Mary's situation. So we're going to basically see the circumstances, what's going on. We'll see what's happening. Then we're going to step into Mary's song. It's this unique thing in scripture where it's almost like an Old Testament psalm in the middle of New Testament narrative. What's happening is we're going to look in on how Mary's processing what is happening to her. So we'll see her situation. We'll see her song. And then we'll finish with some lessons in hope. Basically looking back at both of those and going, all right, What are our takeaways? How can we have hope like we see in Mary? All right, that's where we're going. Situation, song, and lessons. Everybody understand? Good, good. Um, Well then, verse 26 of Luke chapter one. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God 
to a town in Galilee called Nazareth. Okay, Luke's giving us, Luke is our author, he's giving us a little bit of a setting. Mary belongs to the people of Israel, which means, here's what this means, she's heard the stories. I mean, she's heard the stories of her ancestors and how God has moved among them. Israel is God's chosen people. She heard about the promises God made to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Moses, and to David. She's heard about how God parted the Red Sea, about how God had taken down the walls of Jericho and taken down that giant Goliath. She's heard about his faithfulness to Ruth and Esther, and Isaiah, and Gideon. She's heard it all, but she hasn't seen it. She knows it. She knows the stories, but she hasn't seen it. In fact, in the moment of this account, it has been 400 years since Israel has last heard from God. That's the time between when the last events of the Old Testament close And our time here in the New Testament opens, 400 years. That's a long enough time gap for, I mean, it's a long time. It's like long enough for historical fact to start to morph a little bit into folklore. Maybe it's not, maybe it's not really true, but I, you know, I know it, but maybe I struggle to believe it. God has seemingly been silent, seemingly being the important word. While he's seemingly been silent, Someone has taken over the world, Rome, the Roman Empire has taken over the world, and it's now ruled by one tyrant, Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus is only allowing the worship of one God, and that's himself. Israel's not allowed to worship. They have to worship him. On top of this, where Mary lived, they were ruled by this guy named Herod. Herod was a harsh, murdering tyrant. He taxed the people under his control ruthlessly. The poor were oppressed and marginalized. So think about the setting here. Think about Mary. Feel like we're not hearing anything from God. Got oppression from the ruling power. And oh, by the way, she's a single teenager engaged to be married. Engaged, not married yet. It's going to be important. This is oppressed and poor with zero upward mobility, Mary. And I say that because some of y'all might feel like, give all that setting, some of y'all might feel like God is silent. Like in your life, it may, it may not, it may not have been 400 years, but it feels a little bit like it. Maybe you are one like Mary who grew up around the stories. Like you grew up around church. I grew up around church. Maybe you grew up around church. Maybe you know all the stories of the Bible. Maybe you grew up so much in it. You've been around so long. You know what flannel graph is. Okay. Now, if you know what that is, that joke's for you. And if you don't, don't worry about it. Okay. You missed that. And that's for the best. All right. But look, you know it, you've heard about God working, but you haven't seen it. Maybe you've just never seen it and you're growing a little disillusioned. God, if you're so good, why am I suffering? God, if you're so good, why am I going through a divorce? God, if you're so good, why is it so hard for me to make and keep good friends? God, if you're so good, why all the trouble out there? God, if you're so good, why all the trouble in here? It's hard to have hope in a God who seems silent. So if that's you, the opening pages of our Gospels are such great sources of hope because finally God speaks. He sends his angel Gabriel to Mary and look how Luke describes her, verse 27. To a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Why? Right here, think about it for a second. Why even bring Joseph up? He's not there. Well, it's because of that little phrase, house of David. 
Luke is cluing you and I in, right out of the gate, something big is happening. I'm gonna come back to this, but basically what you need to know is whenever you see David's name in the New Testament, that means promise. Just that's all you need. David's in the New Testament must mean promise. God's fulfilling his promise. Something big is about to happen. The other little detail, she's a virgin. He said it twice to make sure you know. Verse 28, the angel came to her and said, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. She was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Okay, for those of you, again, if you're newer to the Bible, of course she was troubled. An angel has shown up. I don't know what you think of when you hear angel. Like whatever it is, the Bible describes angels as warriors of light. They frighten people. Every time they show up, they frighten people to the point where the people fall down and pray that they don't die. All right, that's the response. I don't want to die. You know, fear and trembling. Every time they show up, they have to say, don't be afraid. That's always the way they start. Okay, and that's what happens here. Verse 30, the angel told her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called son of the most high and the Lord God will give him, here he is again, the throne of his father, David, 2 Samuel 7. God promised that someone from David's line is gonna sit on the throne of the people of God forever and of his kingdom, there will be no end. And now he's here. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will have no end. Huge news, guys. God's promised Messiah is coming. He's not silent anymore. He's here. He's moving. He's got a plan. And he's invited Mary and chosen Mary for it. Does she immediately praise God for this, though? I think maybe she would, but no, she's human. She's got questions. She knows this is impossible. She's engaged to be married. She ain't married yet. She knows how baby making works. Right? Look, that's the next verse. Mary asked the angel, how can this be since I've not had sexual relations with a man? Now, I do want you to hear in this question something really important for you guys. This is not her being skeptical. It's not not skepticism. Some of you need to hear that it is okay for you to ask God questions. It's okay. And you even see it with Mary, this favored, celebrated woman of Scripture she asks a question. It's kind of, there's a, a difference. Uh, I think I've shared with you this before between sincere doubt and insincere doubt. This is sincere doubt. It's looking into a mystery with awe and wonder and just saying, God, help me to understand what you're doing. I want to believe, help me. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. There's a difference between that and no, 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 I've already made up my mind that this is not true and I'm just poking holes until I can show you that it's not true. That's insincere doubt. That is a, a heart already pushing God away. And so I wanna invite you, if you're in that space, is I wanna invite you to own that and maybe come back to God with sincere doubt that just says, Lord, help me understand. So she says then what we all should say when the Lord gives us an assignment. Well, let me, Let me show you first, verse 35. The angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. The Lord responds to her sincere doubt, so good. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God and consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless 
And then verse 37, look at this. For nothing will be impossible with God. Oh. This is the situation that's going to set up her song. Nothing is impossible. I know, I know this sounds like a lot, Mary. So here's what I'm going to do to help you out. I'm giving you, listen, the trusted testimony of a faithful friend to help strengthen your faith in what I've told you. Yeah. Oh, isn't God so good right here? His word should be enough on its own. And shouldn't it also be enough to us on its own? But God is so kind. He says, I want you to go see your cousin. You know her, you trust her. You trust the way she follows me. I want you to go see her and hear her testify about me. He gives her, look at what God does. He gives Mary a message to believe and then a testimony to hear. And those together work to strengthen her faith. And then she says, verse 38, what we all should say, when given an assignment from the Lord, see, I am the Lord's servant. What's she doing? Releasing control. See, I am the Lord's servant. May it happen to me as you have said. Are you ready to be there? Because man, that's where God starts to work in us. That's where God starts to fill our hearts and lives with hope. That's where we get caught up in a bigger plan, way bigger than ourselves. But first we gotta be there. And if you're like, actually, man, I'm not Mary. No, I've said no to the Lord many times. I've chosen my way, not his. I, I look at the Lord and go, nope, I've got my own plans. I, don't worry, God has great hope to offer you today. And we're gonna see it in a minute. Now we arrive with this as the angel leaves. Our next verses are the setting for Mary's powerful song of hope. She comes to Elizabeth's house because the angel said, there's evidence of God doing the impossible. Nothing will be impossible with God. And I'm gonna give you some evidence of that. Her old cousin, Elizabeth is pregnant. We're gonna see this more next week when we look at her story. But look, it's impossible that someone of her age will be pregnant. But Mary thinks maybe if this impossible pregnancy is possible, maybe my impossible pregnancy is possible as well. You see a testimony inspiring faith. Look at this, verse 41. Mary arrives. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside her and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed with a loud cry, this is like at the door. You know what I'm saying? Like this is not, we sat down over coffee and we've caught up and everything else. This is right out of the gate. Blessed are you among women and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see the sound, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leapt for joy inside me. Blessed is she who has believed, even if Mary's feeling down right now, she's saying, no, no, I know you believe. That's why you're here. You believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. Wow. God gives Mary Elizabeth's testimony. What a kindness from God. She'd already, she'd already said, I'm in Lord. Uh, may it be to me. And yet God sets this whole thing up for her. And Elizabeth just shouts it. Blessed are you among women. What God has said, I'm confirming. Blessed are you who believed the encouraging words of a faithful friend carry so much power, don't they? You know that? Now that's Mary's situation. And that's the setting for her song. Told you we do a situation song and some lessons. Let's look at her song. And if you look at it, if you've got your Bible with you, even the style of the writing changes. It changes from like prose or narrative into poetry. And that's because this, it's like an Old Testament psalm has been dropped right in here at the start of Luke's gospel. And the function of a psalm is to show you what's going on in the heart with the circumstances I'm dealing with. 
How am I dealing with God, responding to God in my circumstances? In the middle of darkness and silence, God has spoken. Her friend has encouraged her faith. And here's this amazing song. We'll look at this for a few moments. I'll show you these lessons. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. Um, There's other, your Bible might even say this often in church history. This is called the Magnificat. It's just a Latin word for magnifies because Mary is magnifying. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. I want to catch for a second how personal this is. My soul, my spirit, my savior. This is the personal response that I want us to lean into today. Usually, you know me, I like showing how like Christianity is a faith practice in community and it is, but what makes it so powerful is that Jesus Christ saves a community of people one person at a time. He deals with you and he deals with me. He knows you. He knows your situation. He sees the sin nobody else sees. He sees the pain. He sees the exhaustion. He sees the bitterness. He sees the hurt. He sees the despair. He sees the loneliness. He sees all of it. And he comes to you in that and he offers you hope and you salvation. It's for you. The salvation where you lay your burdens down, surrender, and receive hope. Receive peace. A Savior strong enough, compassionate enough, and close enough to offer salvation to you from your sin and offer you comfort in your suffering. What a Savior, not just the Savior, but my Savior. Verse 48, she goes on, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And she's right, isn't she? I mean, every single generation since her has looked back and marveled at the favor of God on this woman, partly because while things were not circumstantially great, I mean that as like a spectator looking in from the outside, they were in fact great. Getting pregnant, engaged in first century, while you're in first century Nazareth, not a great outward appearance. There are gonna be questions, but nonetheless, this is great. She's been given the honor, listen to me, of carrying the savior of the world and what is happening inside of her The presence of God, catch this Christian, the presence of God given to her as an unmerited gift. That's that's greater than the circumstances and how they might look around her. The next word she says should shoot like an arrow through time, straight from her soul, right to yours. Because the mighty one, verse 49, has done great things for me. And his name is holy. And now she extends the promise out to you and I. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. It's not just that generation to generation will call her blessed. Mary's inviting every generation, including you and I today, to get in on the same mercy God showed her. Undeserved favor. The, the presence of God residing in us. Just like Mary, you're not owed anything from God. You haven't earned anything, but yet his mercy is still available in full to you, just as it was to her. For those who fear the Lord, who say from their core, God is holy, I'm not. I'm sinful, I'm not worthy of God's favor. He doesn't owe me. Man, that's the person ready to receive God's mercy. And his mercy, generation to generation, it's as much for, think about our church, the 90-year-old as it is for the ninth grader, as it is for the nine-year-old. I've been thinking, some of y'all, 
If you're under 25, you and I are in a different generation. I'm grappling with that, okay? This is what it is. This is where we are. But I'm like, man, do you believe that God's mercy is available to you in full and to your friends and to the people in your apartment complex and to your classmates and to your coworkers? that God wants to work in your day because nothing will be impossible with God? Do you believe that? This is not just your parents' faith. You don't have some JV Christianity or JV Holy Spirit, but you have the full Holy Spirit ready to work in your day. His mercy is available to you. He's got hope for your generation. Verse 51. Oh man, he has done a mighty deed with his arm. He scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He's toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Hear me. You look at this almost like the upside down kingdom of God being described. The ones who are proud, well-fed, and well-resourced are often the ones who have the hardest time seeing their need for God. Their abundance isn't bad on its own. Look, some of you are going to be wildly wealthy compared to your peers and definitely compared to the greater world. And that abundance isn't bad. God has given that to you. I pray you will use that for the advancement of the gospel and his name around the world. The abundance isn't bad unless it becomes your savior. Unless it becomes, I don't need God. Look at what I have. Man, is that the lie of the enemy? Because what you have can be taken away in a moment. Don't fool yourself with thinking that you gave you that. No, the abundance isn't bad until it becomes your savior. It should be a tool to magnify your savior. Verse 54, he's helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy. This is so great. To Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. In the arrival of Jesus, God is fulfilling a promise he made to Abraham saying, your descendants are gonna be as many as the stars in the sky. All the nations are gonna be blessed through Abraham. Christmas is the story of our God keeping his promises, which means the promises, listen, this is why this matters. The promises that he has made to us in Christ, he's gonna keep those too. This is evidence that he keeps his promises, which means he's going to keep his promises. If he went to all the trouble to create a census to take this young couple who was living in Nazareth because the Old Testament says the Messiah is gonna come from Nazareth and he takes this couple and he puts them all the way into Bethlehem because the Old Testament says that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem in a stable. If he's going to go to all that work, that meticulous work to keep every single one of his promises, he's going to keep the promises he has made to you in Christ. And that's where y'all, that is where hope grows. You understand that? Like hope grows in like the greenhouse of our confidence that God is faithful to his promises. It grows in our awareness of his promise. Do you know God's promises to you? God promises to strengthen you, Ephesians 3. God promises to give you rest, Matthew 11. God promises to provide for all your needs, Philippians 4. He promises to work everything for your good, Romans 8. He promises to be with you, Matthew 28, to protect you, Psalm 91. He promises to forgive you and set you free from your sin, 1 John 1. He promises to give you everlasting life, John 3. Do you know his promises? Do you know them? Listen, sometimes we struggle to hope in God because we don't know his promises. You're missing out on the helium. That's, those promises are helium for our daily life. Psalm 19, 7. Right? His word is good. It revives the soul. 
It strengthens us so David in the middle of all this struggle in his life can go back to the promises of God and it can lift his countenance in the middle of such hard times. Do you know his promises? Brings us to the last part of our sermon, the lessons Mary teaches us about hope. We look at the situation, look at her response. Here's our takeaways. I think I'm gonna give you four. The first one is obvious, but it's important. It's what Gabriel says to her. Nothing will be impossible with God. This is a lesson in hope. Because I think, I think this one, y'all, is the one that Christians nod their head to. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's written right there in the Bible, yeah. And yet we don't believe it. Like, if we're honest, deep down, we are trained in every arena that faith, nothing will be impossible with God. Faith is for the weak, especially faith in a God we can't see. And so even if we like mentally, intellectually assent to the Christian truths, right? Like that Jesus was born of a virgin. Yeah, okay, I'll buy that. He lived a sinless life. Okay, I'll buy that. He died for my sins. Okay, he died. He rose again after he resurrected from the dead. Okay, he ascended to God the Father. And I believe that he is still there. And one day he is coming back to bring me with him into eternal glory. I believe in all of this. Even if we believe that, we struggle to believe that God doing all that actually works today. We don't believe nothing is impossible. We're not sure if anything is possible. It feels like God's been silent for a long time. If that's where you are, I just want to offer you a fresh reminder that nothing will be impossible with God. The skepticism that you might be carrying around is a weapon of Satan attacking your faith. Skepticism, that disingenuous doubt. Man, it poisons hope. It is the same poison that Satan used with Adam and Eve. Did God really say? Has God really done that? It's the same weapon he's been using since the beginning of time. I just want you to know that God is still moving among us. He is still moving here and now. There are people who are finding saving faith in Christ now here among us. There are people in your church that are being set free from addictions that they have had for years, not by their own strength, not by finally with enough willpower. No, by the power of God, they are being set free and walking in that freedom. There are college students who are being saved and their lives totally transformed and generations, they're looking back on their family tree filled with dysfunction and saying, it's not gonna be me, but that can't be by my power. No, by the power of God, he is forever altering not only their lives, but generations after them. That's the power of God at work because nothing will be impossible with God. God is moving and his power is available to you. Man, I'm the one, I get a lot of the emails. It's one of the greatest joys of being your pastor is the emails and the conversations after church. Everything. Hey, here's what God's doing in my life. And I want to share, I just want you to know he's moving among us. I keep going. In fact, that leads me right to the next thing. The next lesson we see here comes from Elizabeth. Testimonies of a faithful friend strengthen our hope. I love, you know, we get into the same, um, the Christmas account every year, right? It's good for us. It's good tradition, but we don't just repeat the same sermons. We go back to it with fresh eyes because we want to see what God has for us. And this year, man, it's just Elizabeth stuck out to me. God didn't have to tell Mary what he was doing with Elizabeth, but he did. Because even though God's word should be enough, he knows sometimes we need to hear about how he's working. 
And hearing how he's working in someone else's life inspires me to believe it's not gonna be impossible for him to work in mine. That's what Elizabeth's here for. She's got a story we're gonna see a lot more about next week, but she's in Mary's story to inspire Mary's faith. We have got to start telling one another how God is working in our lives. We think of testimony sometimes, we might think, testimony is my story of how God saved me, period, that's the end. No, 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 no. That's where your testimony, that's a key moment in your testimony. But your testimony is also how God is working now. What he's doing now. Community group question this week. How's the Lord working in your life now? And if you're like, I don't know. Well, good. It's time to take inventory. Maybe you feel like God is silent. But in reality, you just had your ears plugged. You don't see God moving, but you haven't been looking. Maybe you need to just take time to look back and say, man, here's how God has been working. Maybe you need to be the one that says, I see God working in you. You need to call out God's faithfulness in somebody else's life where you see it. Let's be specific and strengthen one another because that's helium in our hearts right there. Leads me right to the next lesson Mary teaches us in hope. Listen, celebrating God's past faithfulness stirs hope in his future faithfulness. When she talks about God scattered the mighty, been faithful to Abraham, exalted the humble. She is now celebrating the past faithfulness of God in days past, and she's connecting her story to all of those. The same God's working in her that worked there. I believe he's going to work. Do you know, I mean, just, do you know how powerful gratitude is for your life? Like even the healthcare community and scientific research are beginning to catch up with how God created us in this area. God created gratitude, thankfulness as a mechanism for how we are to flourish in his world. We think of gratitude only as a character trait. We got to start thinking of it as a practice, as a discipline, as a thing we do. Listen to me. Um, This year, earlier this year, UCLA Health said uh, they did a study of 26,000 people. And they said the practice of gratitude, if you'll do it 15 minutes a day, five days a week for six weeks, that was their study time, all right? 15 minutes a day, five days a week for six weeks. Here's what they said the results are. Practicing gratitude like that reduces depression symptoms, lessens anxiety, causes a significant drop in blood pressure, relieves stress, and improves sleep. Tell me you don't want that in your life. We are made to be thankful. So your body's going to respond when you live as God created you to live. And we become thankful by practicing thankfulness. Yo, I got a a journal that I've been using for a while now. It asks me this same question every day. Write down three things you are thankful for. Man, there's some times I look at that thing, I'm like, I don't wanna write down anything I'm thankful for. It's 5 a.m. I have nothing to be thankful for at 5 a.m. You know what I mean? Like, you just gotta, you feel that way sometimes. Sometimes, you know, sometimes I have to write the same thing today that I wrote yesterday. It's a discipline. So at least once a week, I discipline myself to write the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for my sins because I want to be thankful. So I'm going to practice thankfulness. And when I practice thankfulness, it changes how I look at my hopefulness in God working again in my life that day. I mean, if you believe he died for your sins, he rose again. He, you believe he defeated death. He ascended to the right hand of the father, sent his Holy Spirit to empower and guide the church. And one day you'll join him in eternal glory. Do you believe all of that is his mercy towards you? If he did all of that, surely he's not silent. 
And surely Lamentations is not lying when it says his mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Maybe we're just not looking. And I know you might be thinking, I'm not like Mary. I've rejected God for a long time. I got a broken past and a broken heart. I don't know if God can use me. I just want to encourage you something one of our staff members shared with me this week. She shared 2 Timothy 2. If anyone purifies himself from anything dishonorable, he'll be a special instrument set apart, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. You are not too broken. Your past is not too much for God. If you will turn from that and turn back towards him, oh, what a work he has to do in your life. He loves you. His mercy is for you still. Nothing will be impossible with God. Leads me to our last lesson, which is Mary's first lesson she gives us. Finding hope begins by releasing control of our lives and surrendering to God. For Mary to find the blessing in this assignment, she had to surrender. And it probably made a bunch of difficult conversations, probably a lot of moments where, man, I don't know how this is going to work. But yet she says, see, I am the Lord's servant. Hands open. Not, here's my plan for my life and how God can help. Now, see, I am the Lord's servant. May it happen to me as you have said. She surrendered and in doing so, man, she discovered the faithfulness of God in an amazing way. She got caught up in God's greater plan for her, for her life. And I wonder, what's God calling you to do? What next step is he calling you to take, but you're holding on? Where do you need to open your hands up, release control of that? Maybe it's a specific thing. Maybe it's whole life. I got to release control and say, God, I believe. I'm choosing to believe. I'm surrendering to your good plan. That's the call he's making to us. So surrender, and in that surrender, find hope. Let me pray for you. In fact, let me lead you at each of our campuses in a brief response time of prayer. If you get in that posture of prayer where you're bowing your head and I want to kind of give you a couple of prompts. Maybe you need to practice some thankfulness right now for things that you've been taking for granted and God has blessed you with. You give those over to him and say, thank you. Start with your salvation if you're a Christian. Thank you. Thank you, God, for saving me. Thank you for your kindness towards me. Maybe you need to surrender to God in some certain area of your life. Maybe it's just your whole life. May it be to me, as God has said, I am the Lord's servant. Maybe that's all you should say, open-handed. Even maybe your posture needs to be unclenching fists and open hands and say, I'm the Lord's servant. Some of you have never given your life to Christ and all the promises that I brought up salvation, forgiveness for your sin, eternal life with him, the spirit of God guiding you now, that is for those who are in Christ. And you need to receive salvation today. If that's you, I want to offer you the chance to do that right now. There at your seat, between you and the Lord, you can pray, God, I believe. I believe that I'm a sinner. I have chosen my way over yours. I wouldn't like Mary 
saying, I'm the Lord's servant. No, I, I've been serving myself. But I believe that Christ came for me as an act of mercy. I believe he lived the life I should have lived. I believe he died in my place. And I received the forgiveness, his death won for me. You tell him, I believe he rose again. And that means I have new life in him. I believe it. And maybe with thankfulness in your heart, you can say, thank you, Lord. Nothing will be impossible with God. And I believe that that promise was for me today, that you can save even me. Our God, we're across our three campuses, across Charlotte and the area, and really just like in all these different generations and seasons and spaces of life. But we together today declare nothing will be impossible with God. Help our unbelief, but we choose to believe that you have great hope for our community. You have great hope for that one that we know, the lost people surrounding our church. They're in our apartments, they're in our classrooms, they're at work, they're in our neighborhoods. God, we pray that they would find that one would cry out, my savior. God, I pray for a wave of salvation this Advent season. We have seen you to be faithful, and so we call on your faithfulness. We believe, Father, the one who has been faithful since the beginning of time is faithful now and be faithful tomorrow. Would that embolden us to declare the great hope of the gospel to our friends? Would it embolden steps of faith? Because he who promised is faithful. We believe that today and tomorrow your mercies are new. And we look expectantly out to the landscape of where you put us, expecting you to move. We praise you in the mighty name of the risen Savior, of the resurrected Savior, of the reigning Savior. In his name we pray. Amen.